This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. I was like, whoa, I would never have arrived at this feeling if it went for my hair. Or I would never have arrived at this experience or these stories if it went for my hair. So that's when it most came alive. As a child, I was always told, don't cut your hair. We'd grow our hair out until it's long and grey. The lighter, the better. And if your hair is deemed worthy, you'll take a trip to the hairdressers with your auntie, who will collect the cuttings to be added to the twinger. Every family has their own twinger, a special headpiece for certain occasions, and it's made out of human hair. Nowadays, you can have your brown, red, or purple hair in the twinger. Well, okay, maybe not purple. But the headpieces have changed with the times. I'm Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki, and this is Culture Compass, an exploration of survival, revival, and connection throughout the Pacific. Our hair is never really just here in the Pacific. It plays a role in our culture and dress, and it becomes important at different stages of life and death. In Niue, to celebrate a boy's growing into manhood, families host a big celebration to give their son his first haircut. It's called a hifi ulu. Louis Villisoni Oliver grew up in Auckland and had his haircutting ceremony a little later in life. I was around 14 or 15 years old. So this is going back a little bit now. But yes, I, I was in my mid-teens, high school student at that time. And yeah, that was the very first time that my hair had been cut at the Hifiulu. How long was it? Was that like down your back? It was down my backside. It was that long. Wow. Can you tell me what is the history behind the hair cutting ceremony? So from my understanding, the Hifiulu tradition is mainly for the firstborn son. And it's kind of, it's a representation of strength and resilience and, and power for that particular family. That was my understanding of it, you know, back in the day. I think at the time when I had my Hifiulu, um, you know, this would have been early 2000s. So it was you know, quite westernized at that time. But my understanding is, is yeah, the firstborn son has to go through the process of growing out his hair until he gets to a suitable age. And then once you cut the hair, that's your passage into manhood from there. Wow. What happens in the lead up to the ceremony? Like what kind of preparation do you and your family have to do? Yeah, if I think back to that time, I myself can't remember a lot of doing prep myself because, you know, I was in school and I think my main goal was to continue to try and look cool and be cool and maintain my hair. I think that was the one thing that I, I really got fed up by the end of it was having to shampoo and condition in my hair all the time to keep it, um, you know, well-maintained. My parents and, and my wider family, I think the preparation from them was just trying to organize the event itself and, and 
making sure that the money was there to to host the event and to find the venue and to make sure all our family were all on the same page. So yes, just similar to like a wedding or a birthday, I suppose. But for me, my job was to just maintain my hair and and make sure I I didn't cut it. That's so amazing. But can you walk us through the ceremony itself? And the day of the ceremony, what were the steps that you go through? I remember... I would have been the the last one to turn up to the event. So all the family and all the friends were there prior to. And I remember we had it at this place, which is not around anymore. It was near Auckland Airport and it was called the Lakeside Convention Center. That's long gone now, but I remember it being a really beautiful place. And similar to that of like a 21st, I guess, or a wedding, you're, you're kind of like the, the star of the show. You're, you're the, the man of honor. And I remember doing a walkthrough me and my family all had the same dress shirts on. My hair was all out. Uh, wasn't tied up. It was nice and straight, nice and clean. I think, you know, the formalities were there of singing the new national anthem. And then I was seated, you know, front and center, again, similar to that of, of a wedding and a birthday. And during speeches of that, and, and my grandfather, I think he was like the head honcho of the family at that time. And he was also a minister. So he sort of started the formalities. And then my hair would be put into ribbons. I think my mom and my auntie would come and separate my hair and put them all into individual ribbons. And this is where family and friends get an opportunity to come and snip the hair and take it back with them as a memento. And of course, you know, uh, provide gifts and uh, envelopes of money. So... That was the majority of the day. And then after that, I remember a lot of food and uh, a lot of drinking and partying after that from my family. I think one of my aunties was really drunk and singing to a pig head. So <laughs> that's one of the memories I can remember. I have to ask you, what was it like for you to not have your hair cut for 15 years? It didn't really hit me until me being closer to those teenage years. As a kid, I didn't put too much, you know, I didn't pay it no mind. You know, it was just whatever my mom said and she used to plait it at times. Um, but when I got to high school, um, I started to get lazy with my hair. And there were a few points in time when I, I was in the bathroom and I just, man, I just wanted to cut it off right then and there because it became, it became heavy sometimes and it became hot at times. And, um, and again, when I was at school, not a lot of boys, um, either new, either Nguyen or not Nguyen, none of the boys had long hair. I was one of the only ones who had super long hair. So that was another thing to it that, that made me grow a bit tiresome of the long hair. But, uh, you know, I lasted. I waited all that way. <laughs> I have to tell you, my son, we grew his hair. I think he was four years old yeah. when he cut his own hair. So it all, <laughs> fell, it all fell into like a big dreadlock at the back of his head. So we had oh, to wait for his oh. actual birthday, which was a couple of months later. And then we oh, had our hair cutting. Samoa used to do it too, but not. we didn't keep the tradition the way the New Wayans people have, which is beautiful yeah. to see. Yeah, but yeah. would it have been different if you had had your hair cutting ceremony in no, New Way? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, it would have absolutely been different. I think um, the the hair cutting ceremony that I had here in Auckland um, was was somewhat westernised um, in a way. Um, I know that in Newair, and if I really think about it, I don't think I've actually attended a hefiulu in Newair. I've seen pictures and I've seen footage and, and talked to friends and family about it, 
but it is very traditional there. And I think it is, it, it, it goes over the top with the food, with the money gifts. It's, it's quite extreme. And then mix that with the type of scenery that you're in. You know, you, you are on the rock and it is hot and, you know, trees everywhere and, and all the beautiful singing and all the beautiful performing. So yeah, I think it's just really authentic and different and beautiful there and you wear. My one was a little, uh, a little bougie. Oh, well. <laughs> like so. oh well. While it was happening, did you enjoy the ceremony? Did you feel it was mainly for your family to see you go from boy to man? Yeah, it was. It was a bit of both. Overall, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed uh, the experience. I enjoyed, you know, being part of that tradition, and you know, being New Orleans. I was very proud to have had that happen. But the funny thing about me um, as a person and personally, I I hate being in the spotlight. So for me to be sitting front and center, um, it, it was messing with my uh, with my my social mechanics. Um, so I had to try and balance that. But um, no, I overall I, I really enjoyed it, and I think I appreciate it more now. Um, and, and the age that I'm at now, it's funny though, I've been bald since 2015 or something because I'm just totally done with hair now. So I shave my head every, now every single day. So yeah, a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a, a 180. When a loved one passes away in Donga, relatives will have their hair cut as a sign of respect in mourning. It's a significant and elaborate ceremony with a special role for the deceased's eldest sister called the Fahu. Jolene Mataele has taken part in this mourning ceremony many times. She's had her hair cut in grief and has also inhabited the role of the Fahu. If it's someone that's passed away, as soon as that person has passed away, we'll have to notify the Fahu. That's the first thing, right? And then the, it's the Fahu who actually comes to the hospital and do the first wipe and clean up to assist the actual nurses who are doing the cleaning and all that, which is totally different from the Kapalangi, you know, the white people's, you know, death, put them in the mortuary. It's the people in the mortuary who does the cleaning and everything. It has to be the father who sits at the front of the vehicle when they're transporting her. Before the the apo uh, or the night wake, she will be the first, the, the one to turn on all the lights. And then dawn of the morning, she will be the one who will turn off all the lights. And it has to be, and it's called Akipo. You know, I mean, I, the, the, for for the Hawaii would be uh, po. I mean, uh, uh, takipo, and for the commoners we call it takipo, which is the the, the wake. Eh? And then fakaola mama is fakaola means putting the lights on. And then at, in the morning she will do the same, but turning off all the lights before they take the body to church and all that. And at the end of the burial, the Faha will come back to the house to do the, we call it lulu, which is a bowl of seawater 
tongan oil and uh, the leaves of ahi or or asi or you know um, or uh, uhi the the tree that you know um, uh, uhi tree a, ba- a branch of leaf of that and spread that sea water or water all over the house wherever the body was that has to be Yuluku. it's more like casting out any kind of spirit and then right after that everybody goes to rest and the very next day they come and do the pong pong dapu and that's when the cutting and everything happens and all that it's a big responsibility yeah <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> and especially when you have to sit there all night yeah <laughs> And I've seen you do that. <laughs> so can you tell me exactly who the Fahu is? Who is allowed to play this special role? Rightfully, it is the auntie. Like, say, if I passed away or my, or my father passed away, it's his father, which is my grandfather's sister. If, if it's my father that's passed away, his children, who is us, yeah. will take everything and present it to our grandfather's sister or her children or her grandchildren and ask her to do the cutting of every single person, which is totally, you know, if my father had 33 children, which he had 42, we'll have to have all of our hair cut. And that was exactly what happened. In the olden days, I believe there was no scissors, right? So they used to have something called, in Tongan, we call it potoyafi, which is a stick or a, a fire of burned wood. And that was what they used for cutting hair, just to burn a bit of that hair. And that was the tradition. And then modernization came and came with the scissors. So that was more uh, realistic now. You can't get them to burn air all the time. And um, I think that came with Christianity, when Christianity came in, you know, and changed a lot of things from paganism to real. <laughs> and so when you say when someone has passed away and you're going to have your hair cutting ceremony, and you explain that all, how many of your dad's children got their haircuts in one go? 42. All 42 of you all got your haircuts. And this was yep. all cut by Princess Pilolevu. Yeah. So that was passed on. The privilege was given to Princess Pilolevu at the time. That is so wonderful. Yeah. You know, it, it might be a privilege, but you can just imagine what she's going through. It's a tiring job, you know, because I've done it myself. I, you know, I've, in my, my my mother's side of the family, I've been pahu in all these funerals, and my grandmother's side of the family from from La Paja, and I had to do that. And uh, you know, you, a lot of people might say, "Yeah, it's a privilege," but it's a job, you know, and it comes with a responsibility of my own. I cannot just sit there and just receive, 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 because you have to share those things. 
Has the ceremony changed much over the years? It's quite interesting to see. A lot of things has changed in our traditional haircutting and all that. I mean, traditionally, it should be the 10th night. Mm. After the 10th night, it's done. And we'll do all the cutting, then we'll have the last prayer, the, you know, the farewell to all the family and all that. Eh? But nowadays, because of you know, civilization and everything else, they've changed um, to, they've sort of changed it now because um, a lot of families cannot stay for long. You know, um, some of them will have to return back overseas and all that. And so it has been changed to the third day. Common families, they do... After the burial, then the very next day, they'll do the pongpongitapu, you know, the first morning or the first dawn of the, you know, after the death. And um, they'll do the mau mau and they'll do the cutting right there. So it really depends on the fahu herself. Why do you get your haircuts in the first place after a funeral? Is it to show your Sadness for the passing? It's a show of respect. And not only that, but it actually shows the privilege of Fafahu, the status of the women. You know, how women plays a very hierarchical part in the family, in the Tongan family. I mean, nowadays we talk about women gender equality, women's rights, and all that, hey? But there's nowhere in the world that I know for sure that women has got a place, a very hierarchical part in in the family. You know, we all know the traditional families, men rules, men leads, and all that. But when it comes to the Tongan tradition, it's a total different thing altogether when it comes to actual birthday funerals, everything, you know, um, in the everyday life of a woman. But cutting hair, not only it shows the respect for the dead person as a reminder of who you are, okay? At the same time, the actual woman who is the fa, that's when we lift her status to where she is or where she's supposed to be. It's a beautiful tradition, and, you know, I hope it lives on longer, long after oh. we've gone. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Abueninga is a traditional style of wearing your hair in Fiji. It looks like an afro, and both men and women can wear it. For climate activist Fenton Lieutenant Dambua, Deciding to grow up winger was a sign of Fijian pride and a connection to his elders and his culture. When we grow up, we were warned that you never touch the head of a, another human being. That is the most disrespectful thing that you could do. And so it was like drilled into me growing up that somebody's head, their hair is, is so sacred. And so 
that must always be respected. And if for whatever reason you happen to cut somebody's head or hair, you always say tulo. So you seek forgiveness. You, you, you know, you say, Hey, I recognize that what I'm doing is wrong. So I beg your forgiveness. So we say tulo or chilo because the head is so sacred. And winning off of me was something that when I started growing it out, it just felt like the right thing to do for me because <laughs> it was like, our hairstyle is so common. A lot of indigenous Fijian women specifically wear them winning are. Supposedly, it's like when you grow out your fro, your afro, and they sort of tap, shape it, where the back of the afro is shaped like the tail of a duck. And women and men both wear them breeding up or both style their hair that way. That's the most common style of Fijian hair that I know that's back in the day. And I think has also made a revival in modern culture. When I was growing up, in my school days, because of our sort of education system, disciplined equaled short hair, which is, I think, like a hangover from colonial days, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we were told very specifically in school that if you didn't have short hair, you were undisciplined and uncursed and you weren't welcomed into a space or you won't be respected in the space. And I know also a lot of my close friends that were female, there was so many conversations around hair and like hair straightening and like this obsession with the, with the Western standard of beauty that immediately raised all of the beautiful things that made a Fijian a Fijian. I tell you a word that we share and it's common amongst us in the Pacific is too low. And I understand yeah, yeah. that when you say too low before you touch anybody's head, that's very important. Very yeah. I remember as a child growing up, but uh, we have Fijians visiting us with their puninga. I remember watching these ladies thinking, they're so tall and elegant, and I wish my hair would look like that. And I can, I envision them as you speak about them. Do many people in your family have a puninga? So my mom, my mom has the most Stunning winning I've ever seen. <laughs> I know yeah. how biased that sounds, <laughs> but it is stunning because from uh, my mom's side of the family, we start having gray hair, yeah. like in our late 20s, early 30s. And so my mom's winning eye is like beautiful. It's like gray. It's, you know, it's white, it's silver. And, and she's kept it really well. You know, a lot of my aunties were winning and Actually, I remember when I used to go to some of our uh, family functions, I'd have an older uncle come in and I'm like, oh, you remind me of our old people back in the day when they used to wear their hair like that. Yeah. So it was wild for me to think about my hair, my bunyang, as like a, a tool for time travel, right? Where in that very specific moment, I had an elder look at me and think back to a time where I was not alive and think back to uh, like he would recall an ancestor in that moment and just being able to do that time travel in real time uh, was so fascinating to me and now when I see a lot of my friends children who are like five or six and they have like a tiny little afro I'm like oh man you should 100% grow out your problem if your parents let you <laughs> it looks amazing and I see more and more of, of, uh, of uh, young people 
growing out of them winning up uh, nowadays. And I made a decision in June 2019 that I wanted to uh, reconnect with who I am and celebrate that with my hair. And so it's very important to to grow it out because to grow out an afro is, is like not easy work, right? Yeah. It, uh, Maintenance-wise, it's a lot. I was about to ask you, was it difficult to maintain? It was difficult to maintain for sure. And I only used coconut oil in my hair. I was very adamant in my journey of decolonizing hair. I also was very specific and intentional with the products that I allowed to be on my body and on in, in my on my head. So I used coconut oil. Uh, I often use coconut oil that my mom made in her kitchen as well. Like coconut oil is is like the magic serum <laughs> uh, for hair. I think for bodies, <laughs> I use it too. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The gift that keeps on giving. It does. You've since cut off your buininga. How does it feel? So my buininga started locking naturally. So I didn't cut it. It, it just, uh, it, I think it's taken a new form and it's locked. Okay. I was like, oh man, if I have to be feeding my child <laughs> at 2 a.m. in the morning and like, I thought at the time it would be, it was like easier to maintain. So I, when I greeted my son, I had my full Mbuininga. I was, I was, I greeted him proudly wearing my Mbuininga. And then when he was about three or four months, then I, uh, intentionally underwent like a full, uh, locking process. So, uh, I still have my locks now. It's a variation of, I'm, I'm still w- wearing my Mbuininga under the locks uh, somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Well, will you encourage your son to grow up winning when he's older? Yeah, I really believe that my role as a father is to provide my son with the tools that he needs to feel comfortable and confident and connected to his body and whatever shape and form that looks like. I'm going to support him 100%. And if if he wants to grow out his winning off for all the right reasons, I'm going to be like, yes, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, but if he doesn't, you know, yeah. My my, my big hope is that uh, I've, I've just like handed him the tools he needs to navigate and reconcile in ways that are meaningful to him and support him on that journey. As you grew your hair out, did you feel a connection to your heritage strengthening? 100%. I don't know how to explain this. And I think I felt those connections most and was in conversations with elders. And they would tell me about what they witnessed when they were growing up, seeing their elders. You know, so again, it was like this beautiful sort of intergenerational tethering of sorts that happened. And that, that was when I was like, whoa, I would never have arrived at this feeling if it went for my hair. Or I would never have arrived at this experience or these stories if it went for my hair. So that's, that's when it most came alive. 
Whether you wear a buininga or choose to rock a bald head, our hair makes a statement about where we come from in the Pacific. The rules around hair and ceremonies change from the beginning of life to the end. But it's all about one thing respect. And that even extends to respecting hair when it's not playing a crucial role in ceremony. We always say too low before touching someone's head. So protect your crown. It will always be more than just hair. This is Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Culture Compass is hosted by me, Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki. Our ABC Radio Australia executive producer is Falangafulu Inga Stunsner. From Deadset Studios, our producer is Lucy McAfee. Supervising producer is Grace Pashley, and our executive producer is Rachel Fountain. Audio editing and sound design by Nick McCorriston. This episode was produced on the lands of the Turrbal, Jagra, and Durrbal people. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. Music